Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And joining us today, I'm excited about our guest, Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Brown, welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be with you, Kevin. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Brown, he is the host of the nationally syndicated daily talk radio show, The Line of Fire, which I've enjoyed. Uh, you, you, you welcome a lot of call-ins, so that's great. Also, he is the founder and president of the Fire School of Ministry. And one of the few people who can say that not only have they debated Dr. James White, but you have debated with, side-by-side, Dr. White. That's a pretty uh, interesting tale right there and, and pretty impressive. Yeah, actually, we, we've had a number of debates, quite a few, on Calvinism, and we did a specific one on the nature of the atonement, and then on healing today. But our great joy is when we can debate side by side. So we've been able to do it twice so far. And like you always says, we're finishing one another's sentences. So that's that's been really sweet. Well, one of our co-hosts here, uh, Ray Jewell and I, uh, have a similar relationship. I'm, I'm more Reformed. He's uh, definitely an Arminian. And uh, we say that we, we agree enough to be friends, but we disagree enough to be really good friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, Dr. Brown, along with all the other uh, things that you do, and your ministry takes you literally around the world, you've written several books, including your upcoming book that's yet to be been released, at least as of this recording, Donald Trump is Not My Savior. An evangelical leader speaks his mind about the man he supports as president. So you're jumping right into the middle of controversy, which is, it seems like that's where you like to be most of the time, um, in the firing line. So talk to us a little bit about why you wrote this book, and, uh, and I think it's, it's a needed book. So why is it needed, and, and why did you decide to write this now? Yeah, there's no greater controversy in the country right now than the controversy surrounding Donald Trump. And you just mention his name, and people get worked up on either side. And even around the world, people want to talk about it. I just did an interview a few days ago for a large church in Hungary mm. that wanted to talk to me about this Trump book. So we, as evangelical Christians in particular, have really been caught between a rock and a hard place. On the one hand, many of us recognize that that Donald Trump is really standing for a lot of things that are very important to us. His appointees to the Supreme Court, their nominees to the Supreme Court and the federal courts, his really standing for pro-life, his working to preserve religious freedom, his pushing back against LGBT activism his strong standing with Israel. There are a lot of things that are important to us that we believe he's been supernaturally raised up to help accomplish. I see no other way that he would have been elected if not for an unusual demonstration of God's sovereignty. We recognize God is always at work in the affairs of men, but there are some times when it seems more conspicuous than others. On the other side, you couldn't think of a worse candidate for evangelicals mm. to endorse. Right. A married three times, a well-known playboy, a narcissist, uh, egocentric, uh, often nasty and crude in his comments, uh, totally divisive in character. And I've had, I've had people tell me within a one-week period that because I ever take issue with the president, I'm not saved and Jesus is not in me at all, or... Anyone that votes for the president is part of the Judas church, so not really safe if they vote for him. And, and I felt that the midterm elections are tremendously important, that really, as you can see what happened with the Brett Kavanaugh hearings, that this is a time of tremendous upheaval and division in the country. Right. And even though I'm a registered independent, 
I feel that the party platform of the Republicans is much, much better on key issues than the Democrat Party. Right. And I believe that if we're going to see some of the things for which we elected Donald Trump realized, it's going to be really important to get out and vote in the midterm elections. And yet many Christians who helped put Donald Trump in office don't know what to do because you'll have people say, look, we'll take your Christian testimony seriously if you just renounce Donald Trump and say, I won't vote for him or I won't vote for any candidates that that represent his agenda and goals, uh, then we'll listen to your story. And what we have to do is, is say no to that, that uh, tactic, say no to that mentality, and say, look, Donald Trump is not our savior. Jesus is our savior. Jesus died for our sins. Our lives belong to him. But the president gets a vote. The savior gets our lives. The president gets our vote. Politics is not the gospel, right. and we're not going to be forced into tying our reputation to a man. So uh, the goal is for believers to be able to, to look at things in a nuanced way. The Faith Advisory Council of the President Evangelical Leaders have really had an impact on his life. Some of the men involved there are, are dear friends of mine, and they come back amazed with the prayer times and meeting with the president. And he has Vice President Pence, strong evangelical. And then he has probably the most evangelical Christian cabinet in our nation's history, or certainly one of the most evangelical Christian cabinets. So he has all these godly people there around him. They're making an impact on his life. We shouldn't withdraw. On the other hand, we can't put all of our hopes in, into him and his leadership. Right. So uh, I, I've written now, this I think is book number 33. So I've, I've written a lot of books, but as I felt, really prompted. This was just six weeks ago. I felt really burdened. I needed to get out a book on these themes and, and get it out before the midterms and, of course, have relevance for the, for the months and years afterwards. And I, I was wrestling with it in prayer. I thought, okay, I've written well over 100 articles that relate to Trump in the last three years, beginning with my strong opposition to him during the Republican primaries and then reluctant acceptance of him as our candidate then recognizing God's hand in this while still having reservations and then supporting him, but not with a, a, a blind loyalty. So I wrestled in prayer. I thought, I really feel that I've hit a lot of the key points in these articles, and yet I feel I need to say something fresh and new. So what we did is we put together a brand new beginning. So it's about 5,000 word essay called Evangelicals and Donald Trump. And it asks the question, is this a match made in heaven or is it a marriage with hell? Hmm. And then I took in chronological order from August 2015 to August 2018, about 90 of the most relevant articles on Donald Trump, asking questions of evangelicals, reaching out to President Trump, raising issues, supporting him in different ways, kind of take you on a journey because many will be like, yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah, I agree with you. I was concerned about this kind of go through that, even raising the questions when I wasn't supporting him, is God raising him up? Am I missing something? Go all the way up to August of 2018. So this is really fresh material. And then end with a new sec uh, section, trying to give some insight, some prophetic thoughts in terms of, okay, how can we move forward? Hmm. Do we have wisdom from God? How can we move forward? And I give seven closing points so it's, it's all told about 350 pages, 
And remarkably, from the day I really felt strongly prompted to do it, to the day that I got the advanced copies on my desk was six weeks. Wow. Beautiful cover, beautifully produced. And I'm really praying and hoping that, that God will use it, not just to speak to evangelicals, but to the critics of Trump, uh, to the never Trumpers, to those within the church that can't understand how you could vote for him, to try to reach those as well, as well as people of non-faith, to try to get them to understand why we think the way we do. Let me let me uh, expand on that a little bit. During the campaign, I was a never Trump guy. And I, I don't necessarily uh, regret that. I do appreciate a lot of what President Trump has done. I, I appreciate uh, Neil Gorsuch. I appreciate the... Uh, the tax cut I'm going to enjoy. I, I appreciate the dismantling of Obamacare to some degree, and uh, even Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, but I still have a lot of reservations about, you know, if this guy just shut down his Twitter for a while, uh, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Or, uh, you know, if he if he learned some self-control. And that's where I, I struggle as a Christian. I, I'm going to support the president as much as I can, because I believe as a Christian I... I it is my duty to be submissive to the president, to be respectful to the president, to pray for the president every day. So I, I, I can't call myself – I don't really want to call myself a never-Trump in the sense of I am in rebellion against him because I believe that would be rebellion against God. And as I, I agree with you that God certainly raised this leader up. I, as someone who believes in the sovereignty of God, I have to submit to that. Uh, but as a Christian, I still I, – I cringe at uh, some of his it seemingly – non-Christian attitude. I, I can't forget the time when he said he, he's never asked God for forgiveness, and maybe that's changed. As, as, as you've mentioned, uh, he does have a lot of good people surrounding him. Uh, so what is your message to someone like me who, man, I, I, I just can't get past some of these attitudes and some of these unchristian-like characteristics. At the same time, I have to recognize uh, the good that he's done. Yeah, so that, again, is a major reason that I wrote the book. And I could say very specifically for someone like you to say, okay, let's look at the issues at stake in the nation. We believe character matters. We still believe that. We believe integrity is important. I believe the president would have a lot less problems with many Americans if he could modify things. Fine, get on Twitter, be aggressive, take a stand. We want someone to fight and fight back, but you don't have to do it in a childish way or in an immature way. Uh, you don't have to you know, kick someone in the teeth to get your point across. You don't have to call a former employee a dog to, to say that, that you don't respect what they're, they're writing. So I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And, and as I explained in the book, my wife and I both voted for, for Donald Trump, but Nancy did it with tremendous reservation. And only a few days before decided she had to really to vote against Hillary. I voted for him with a good deal of reservation, but a lot of hope and expectation. She voted for him with maybe a little hope and expectation and a lot of concerns. And all of her concerns have been realized and all of my hopes have been realized. That's the mixed bag we have. So we're not saying character doesn't matter. We're not saying we were wrong with having issues with Bill Clinton. But right now, we need a bull in a china shop. Right now, we need someone with a forehead of steel. I don't think any of us can even imagine for a minute the stronghold of political establishment, both in the Republican and Democrat Party and the real swamp that's in Washington and the intense pressure you get from the liberal media. So you need a wrecking ball of sorts to take this on. 
but a wrecking ball swings both ways. And, and it, a wrecking ball is good for demolishing an old building. It's not good for renovating a room. And unfortunately, we get the wrecking ball in both ways. But uh, I'd simplify everything to say this. Okay, look, it's a worn out saying to say we're electing a president, not a pastor. We understand that. And, and uh, look, I would love it if the president was also a great role model. But let's say you had a bunch of pit bulls in your neighborhood that got rabies and they were on the loose and they were biting children and children were getting rabies and you didn't have a dog catcher in the community. So you have to elect a dog catcher. There's one guy's the nicest guy in the world. He's happily married. He loves his kids, a sweetheart of a guy, but he's never caught a dog in his world. He's a little in his life. He's a little bit afraid of dogs. And then you have another guy. He's nasty. He's mean spirited. He just went through his third divorce. But this guy could catch a dog with his own teeth. Who are you going to elect as the dog catcher? So that's our situation. Right now, the Republican Party, Donald Trump, they've got a much better chance of turning back the tide of Roe v. Wade. They've got a much better chance of getting justices in our courts across the country and turning things back from the progressive nature of the courts that could go as far as, as redefining marriage, something that the founding fathers would have been shocked at, not just the decision, but that the courts had that much power. There are many other things that are important. And if we don't vote and if we don't support, then we end up with, well, we're going to have all kinds of problems that we're going to have to live with that are only going to make things harder in terms of our freedoms and doing what we believe is right. So he doesn't have my heart. He doesn't have my life. He, he, he doesn't have my undying loyalty. But in terms of getting a certain job done, he was the candidate that we got. It was a no-brainer between him and Hillary. As I look at as Democrats are getting more and more radically to the left, uh, more socialist candidates coming up, more militant in their pro-abortion position, more militantly aggressive with LGBT activism and the like, really coming against our religious liberties consistently. I think, okay, same in the midterms. Uh, it's a vote. It's 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 not an act of uh, of salvation. It's not an act of righteousness. It's it's a vote. And I think this, the choices are pretty stark. So yeah, I don't like this. I disagree with this. As a believer, the whole world's going to know that. I'm not going to tie my testimony to Donald Trump. On the flip side, on the day I stand before God, his big question to me is not going to be, what did you do with Donald Trump? It's going to be, what did you do with Jesus? Mm. And voting is just one little part of my life in terms of my stewardship here, but it's an important part. How do you think Christians and evangelicals in particular can influence the president at this point? Because we, whether, whether we liked him or not, he's there. He's in office. Uh, is, there, is there things that we can do uh, as the church, as, as Christian leaders, to perhaps influence this man in the right direction? The influence is being had, on the one hand, in other ways, the best thing we can do is pray. Hmm. When it comes to his tweeting and his behavior, uh, I was at a meeting at the White House, the one meeting I was invited to, because I'm not an insider there, uh, with a number of Southern Baptist leaders and some others. And we met with some staff of the president, and they said he knows this meeting's taking place, he knows the names of everyone here, whatever you convey in this meeting will be conveyed to him. So I was one of the first to raise my hands, and I said, listen, we want to support the president, we want to get behind him, but we have our own constituents, and it becomes very difficult for us to support him 
when he speaks in certain ways, behaves in certain ways, uh, is there a way to, to get him to, to modify his approach? And one of the leaders there, Christian leader who knows him well, said he's a 70-year-old man. It's unlikely he's going to change with a smile. And then another leader who knows him very well, a dear friend of mine, said that he believes they're effective. In other words, he believes what he's doing is effective. And obviously, there's a large constituency that loves it. The nastier he gets, the, the closer to profane he gets, the more certain people love it. So I don't see him changing in those ways without divine intervention in his life. In other words, that's where we pray that he really, if he knows the Lord, that he'll really know him in a serious way and that Jesus will really be the Lord of his life. But in other ways, he's getting influenced constantly. There are evangelicals that meet on a monthly basis and discuss policy and urge him to do this for social justice and urge him to stand here in the inner city and urge him to look at the persecution of Christians in other countries. So evangelicals have his ear. And and when he's in crisis, he he knows where to go. Uh, And it's not just a political ploy. I had people telling me when I was opposing him in the primaries, they said to me, listen, Mike, we met with him. Something's going on there. There, There's a real respect for evangelical believers. There's there's even a sense of of being God-fearing with all of his many flaws and faults. And what I had to recognize was that God was doing something. And and his becoming president is is an indication to me against all odds. And that's, that's how I start the book. It's an indication to me that, that God really raised him up for this purpose. So once I recognize that, I can pray, God, temper him here. Lord, protect others from, from here. And then make sure that my testimony is not hitched to Donald Trump. And my, I fear that some evangelical leaders, when they see the onslaught from the liberal media and when they see the degree of opposition that Donald Trump is getting, that they then feel they have to defend him all the time. And that's when I feel we compromise our witness. Hmm. We are not compromising our witness in voting for him and voting for others who share his, his agenda and goals. I don't mean uh, every, everything across the board, but I mean by and large, especially in the moral and, and spiritual issues. On, on the other hand, when we now have to defend everything he does, when we say, well, I'm glad he speaks his mind, and, then I feel we're really compromising ourselves in the process. And it's one of the questions I ask in my book, have we sold our souls to have a seat at the table? That's always something we have to ask ourselves. Is there a, is there a place to stand up and call the president out? You know, when, when he sends out that, that nasty tweet or whatever, is there a place for evangelists to stand up and say, no, we can't accept this. We love you. We pray for you. But we have to stop here and we have to denounce this. Yeah, absolutely. I try to do it on a regular basis because the greatest thing I have to do is preserve my testimony hmm. and, and, and serve as a voice. God's called me to be a voice, and therefore I, I can't compromise that in any way. I'll do it with honor. I'll do it with respect. When I wrote an open letter to President Obama or open letters to President Obama, it was always to my president. And I recognized him as my president in the midst of my differences with him on so many issues. So, yes, with, with all respect, we say that. And we say that not to win the liberal media or not to prove that we're really good guys to the mockers and the critics. Because the mockers and the critics hated us before Donald Trump. 
this whole idea of liberal media saying, look, evangelical Christian leaders, if you want to be taken seriously, you're going to have to distance yourselves from Donald Trump. I say to him, you didn't take me seriously before this. You mocked me before this. The same liberal media that's mocking our position in pro-life and mocking our position on marriage and family. Come on. If, if we say, all right, we're no longer standing with Donald Trump, do you think they're going to say to us, oh, please share to us, share with us your views on abortion. We really want to hear, oh, please tell us why you don't recognize as valid uh, the, the marriage of two men or two women. No, we, we didn't have credibility with them before. So I see that just as a ploy. But for integrity's sake and for the sake of those who genuinely don't understand how we could vote for Donald Trump, I think it's important that we say, boy, we appreciate what you've done, sir, and we are cheering you on and standing with you. It just grieves us when you treat others like this or where you speak to women like this or where you you you, you paint with such a broad brush and, and we really wish that you wouldn't do it. And folks will find in my book, uh, and, and remember, I'm a supporter of the president. They'll find open letters to the president, free advice to the president, how the book of Proverbs could change your life. And, and I know it. I don't know that it's the case now, but I know at one point a leader very close to the Trump family told them, you need to read what Michael Brown writes uh, to the president and, and to his team. And then I, I wrote something once we felt was really important. And a friend said, I got it right to his right hand staff member into his hand. So I, I have no idea if he knows my name from Adam, if he's read anything, but I'm writing it as if he did. And then I'm writing it so that others will see here are my positions. So when I speak to you on these other areas, you'll see that I'm being consistent as a believer. On the flip side, I'll never please the people who are, you know, Donald Trump is our savior kind of thing. God raised him up to save America. And anyone who, who takes issue with him is, is speaking against the anointed. I won't please those people either. So I'm going to try to please the Lord and speak the truth. Well, and, and now, Dr. Brown, since you've been on the Basic Bible Podcast, I'm, I'm certain the president would know your name at this point, if not before. Oh, this will do it. This will do it. Yes. <laughs> well, the book, again, is, is entitled Donald Trump is Not My Savior. And uh, I believe, according to Amazon, this will be out in uh, October 23rd is when uh, at least the target date there and uh, oh yeah it, it'll def definitely be out and then we have on, on my website ask drbrown.org askdrbrown.org if people want to pre-order a signed numbered hardcover edition we do that with every new book i write uh we'll number the first 100 or 200 or 500 whatever people request and then i'll sign them with a scripture verse so uh, i signed my first 70 80 the other day they were piled on, on a desk and I'll be signing more to send out. So folks can always pre-order on our website or they can get the, the paperback or the ebook uh, over at Amazon. All right. And we'll have a link to that on our website as well. Uh, Dr. Brown, we normally end our, our podcast talking about other books to recommend, other recommended resources. I just want to point out a couple of uh, other of your books that have been a, a blessing to me, a help to me. Uh, can You Be Gay and Christian? Responding with Love and Truth to Questions About Homosexuality is... Um, it's an easy to read, but also an in-depth response to uh, this whole LGBTQ movement, and can we incorporate that into our faith? Hyper Grace, exposing the dangers of uh, the modern grace message, is again another excellent book that uh, is really needed in the church today because we we certainly want to emphasize the grace of God in the gospel, but not when it leads to sin. And uh, you do a great job of exposing that and uh, talking about the, the great doctrines of soteriology. And then uh, the book I have in my hand now that i got to admit, Dr. Brown, I'm a little afraid to read, but Breaking the Stronghold of Food, 
Uh, it's a book I need. So I, so I, I bought the book, and I, I, it's on my list to read uh, in the upcoming months, and uh, I, I'm praying that God will use that. And uh, anything you want to say about uh, any of your other books or, or these books that I've mentioned? You know, I, I appreciate that, uh, Kevin. Breaking the Stronghold of Food is probably off to the best start of, of any book I've written. Hmm. Uh, number one, it's because Nancy helped write it with me, and her words of wisdom are just absolutely amazing. And number two, so many people deal with this, food addictions and struggles, and it's really tough to break free. So we've experienced grace in our lives and, and complete change of life and new disciplines. So um, I went in, in less than eight months, beginning August 24th of 2014, I went from 275 pounds to 180 pounds, less than eight months, not by dieting, but by changing my lifestyle. And I'm, I'm, I'm 63 now, but absolutely a new man. And uh, last, uh, last week, after one of the classes at our ministry school, we did a little fitness challenge with the, uh, nine of the other students who were willing to try it with me. And we had a gal in our congregation who's a, who's a fitness trainer. And she put us through a pretty rigorous 45-minute workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of the students dropped out. Uh, the other, another couldn't finish. So there were only four of us that got right to the end, including two who are in really, really excellent shape. And at the end of the whole thing with total reps, uh, with body weight and things, I actually won. I, I, I beat everybody. And I'm 63. And yeah, there's mental toughness in working out, but 95% of it is healthy eating. Yeah. I mean, my energy level, The I, I used to get several headaches a week. I haven't had a headache in four years. I had high blood pressure. Now it's fabulous. Cholesterol was, was off. That's fabulous. I mean, it's just mind-boggling change. So uh, I, I really encourage you to read it. Just understand, open up and say, God, I struggle here. I'm weak here. I need help. And, and he'll do it. And uh, Hyper Grace has been translated into more languages than any recent book I've written. Mm. I remember I came back from a trip to Italy and Holland, and while there – the believers gave me uh, copies of the book. Uh, the Italian version had come out. The Dutch version had come out. I got home on my desk. There was the finished translation. Someone just sent me a, a picture from, I think, Malaysia, where it just came out. And Indonesia, when I was in Germany a few months back, they had copies of the book. All around the world, these issues are coming up. And we extol grace. We, we exalt grace, but we reject the exaggerated message of grace. And I found it interesting that the hyper grace theme and, you know, this whole idea that we're not under commandments and law and, and that Jesus freed us, that, that goes beyond what scripture says. It's also found in the, the quote, gay Christian movement. Hmm. You have kind of a hyper grace emphasis there as well. And even though they're two totally separate books, I was working on both of them in an overlap time period. And you can see a, a lot in common between the exaggerated message of grace and the quote gay Christian movement, and and so we get constant reports about those books really helping people as well. And I, I appreciate you mentioning them. Well, and I haven't even mentioned the plethora of books you've written concerning Judaism, your testimony, um, which uh, many of those books I, re- I read in seminary are just excellent scholarly works, uh, well worth your time reading. And we'll have links to that on on our website. Uh, and you can get more at, at, at askdrbrown.org, and uh, that'll 
set you up great. So, Dr. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for, for taking the time again and, and joining us. My joy. I hope folks will get Donald Trump is not my savior. And, Kevin, when you see him, say hi to him for me, okay? I'll, I'll do that. Next time we have lunch, I'll, I'll let you know you said hi. All right. God bless. Well, thank all of you for listening. We'll join us back again next week. Until then, check out the website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. Check us out on Twitter at Basic Biblecast. Until next week, have a, and next week we will be get back. This is a bonus episode. We will get back to our series on the attributes of God. Um, we'll be talking about foreknowledge with uh, Pastor Aaron White. So see you then. Mm-hmm.